You are here for a very important Sunday, and I'm so glad you're here today, because today we're starting in on the story of Jesus, page one. So you can stick with us for the next several weeks and hear the entire story of Jesus. It's in the Bible. Um, it's in the Gospel according to Luke. Gospel just means good news. This is the good news according to Luke. Luke's telling us the story of Jesus. And so it opens up, actually, with a letter from Luke to a guy named Theo. So let me read to you the introduction to the letter, and then we'll get into the story. Here's how it goes. Dear Theo, Theophilus, many people have done their best to write a report of the things that have taken place among us. They wrote what we've been told by those who saw these things from the beginning and who proclaimed their message. And so, Your Excellency, because I've carefully studied all these matters from their beginning, I thought it would be good to write an orderly account for you. I do this so that you'll know the full truth about everything which you've been taught. So the author is Luke. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. And both of them are addressed to the same guy. So this man, Theophilus, receives this dissertation about the life of Jesus and then the apostles. So we're going to look at who's Luke, who's Theophilus, and then we'll get into the story. Luke was a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul. Paul went all over the Mediterranean world telling people about Jesus and started uh, churches everywhere. He's pretty much the one who started Christianity. It's because of him that it spread like wildfire, and Luke was with him through much of that journey. So when Luke writes the book of Acts, a lot of it's being written from the first person. We saw this. We did that. I was there. Eyewitness testimony, perfect biography. But the book of Luke, he wasn't an eyewitness to Jesus. He didn't meet Jesus personally as far as we know. He was definitely not one of the apostles. But since he knew Paul, he would have introduced him to Peter and James, and he would have been able to interview the elders and all these witnesses that saw Jesus. So he's like a first-class historian. He gathered all the documents, he interviewed people, and he wrote down an orderly account of the life of Jesus and the apostles. Luke is considered the most chronologically consistent of all the Gospels. Um, he's mentioned by the Apostle Paul three times in various epistles in the New Testament. He was also a doctor. He's called that by the Apostle Paul, a physician. He's probably one of possibly two or maybe the only guy who wrote part of the Bible that's not Jewish. Remember, God was working with the nation of Israel. So almost every book in the Bible is written by Jewish people with the exception of Luke. Luke wasn't Jewish. I say maybe another. I guess it's possible that um, Job, if Job wrote Job, Job wasn't Jewish. Now, if somebody wrote his story years later, like, you know, one of the Jewish prophets, then it so maybe Job and Luke would be the two books in the Bible that weren't written by Jewish people. And he addresses, like I said, Luke to a guy named Theo or Theophilus. Well, who's Theophilus? He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except for in Luke and Acts, and that's only in the introduction, dear Theophilus. So who is he? Well, we get a little hint because he's called your excellency. And that's it. So there's three opinions on who Theophilus is. One of them, I think, is... Like, just throw it out, and that brings us to two. But I'll give you all three. The one that I don't like, the one you should just throw out, in my opinion, is Theophilus didn't exist. Luke was just writing to a symbolic nobody to make his letters look better. I don't know why he would do that. It, it's silly to me, so I don't like it. But it's something that's thrown out there by some of the commentators, so I had to share it with you. Uh, the other one 
it makes a little more sense. Since he's called your excellency, and the name is Theophilus, Theophilus means lover of God, Theos and Philo, Theophilus, um, that he would be a high Roman official, probably a Christian man. That's possible. But the problem with that is it's just a guess based on nothing. Because there's nobody in church or secular history that they can tie Theophilus to. So, in a sense, Theophilus doesn't exist, as far as we know either, in any other historical documents. So that brings us to the third option, which is the solid one, in my opinion. It's based on a historical person, and it fits with the context. In the first century, during the days when all this was happening, there was a Jewish priest, high priest, named Theophilus. Now, the high priest changed almost every year in those days. It was crazy. The Romans put him in and took him out, kept everybody guessing. So probably in the 40s or 50s, he served as high priest. And then when Luke wrote, he was no longer high priest, but he might have been one of the chief priests still. I don't know, but he was probably still part of the Sanhedrin. Either way, this makes sense, that Luke would write the story of Jesus to a Jewish high priest, the only known Theophilus in the first century that this could fit to. Furthermore, this cinches the deal for me. Luke is different than Matthew, Mark, and John in that it opens up by telling us the story of a priest. So it fits in beautifully. Let me read to you how it starts off. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now, to you, that's just data. Okay, there's a guy named Zachariah, a guy named Elizabeth. They had no kids. He was a priest. Got it. Let's hear some more. But there's more to it just there that you got to know about the culture. In that culture, the most important thing you could do as a couple was produce offspring. They considered it a duty and a privilege and if something went wrong and you couldn't have children, according to Jewish law, you could divorce your wife and marry another one so that she could give you children. Because having children was extremely important. And if you didn't have children, you were kind of like mocked. You were kind of like looked down upon and belittled. <laughs> you can't have kids. And then talk would have been something like this. Why is God cursing the priest? What kind of priest is he that he can't have kids? He should be closer to God, right? Right. So the Bible tells us they were both upright people, blameless. They were good, godly people. So this had to torture their souls too. If we're such good people, then why can't we have kids? Why, God, won't you give us children? Year after year after year, month after month, till I'm sure they got to a point where they almost lost hope despondent and discouraged. But then something amazing happened. Zachariah, who's now advanced in years, don't know how old exactly, he won the lottery. Not the lottery for, you know, millions of dollars. This was the priest lottery. Because one of the greatest honors, the greatest honor, a regular priest could have was to go into the holy place, right in front of the holies of holies, and burn incense before God. He won the lottery. He got to do it. If you did that once in your life, you were lucky. You were blessed. So here's this 
man advanced in years, upright before God, and he goes to the place where prayers are as close to God on earth as you can get, to burn incense, which in part symbolizes offering up prayers. You think he prayed to God at that moment? You know he did. By the way, what do you think he prayed about? Kids! I want kids! He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. You know, unless an angel hides himself, like hides who he is, sometimes they go undercover. But if they're not undercover, every time in the Bible when they run into somebody, you know, they greet somebody, the people are scared. Angels are, are awesome. They're mighty beings that when they show up, they freak people out. Now, we don't understand that because we have never had an experience where something freaked us out because it was so awesome. You know, we might get freaked out because we think we've seen a ghost, but that's a different kind of freak out. It's not because it's awesome. It's because we're scared. But what's it like to be scared because of something so wonderful? I have no clue. Never been there. I just know in the Bible it happens all the time. Daniel saw an angel, he fainted dead away. And the angels almost do everything the same way. They'll come up and they'll say, Hi, don't be scared. <laughs> That's pretty much how it works. Hello, don't be scared. It's all right. I'm an angel from God. It's good. And then they tell them their message. But with Daniel, it was like, Hello, get up. He fainted dead away. The angel had to give him strength so he could stand in its presence. And here's my thought, and I could be wrong on this, but angels serve in the presence of God, right? So it's kind of like they're soaking up some of God's glory, like Moses did up on the mountain. And when Moses came down from the mountain, everybody was scared to look at him because he was glowing. He had to put a bag over his head so he could talk to people. Imagine if you're an angel with no sin, no flesh, and you're serving in God's presence always. Man, you glow. You radiate God's glory. And... We can't handle God's glory. Have you ever seen those little glow-in-the-dark toys? You know, you shine a flashlight on it and shut the closet door and it glows in the closet and you're like, ooh, that's so cool. And it's just so dark, but it's cool. Well, an angel's kind of like one of those things. It's soaking up God's energy, gets into our presence, but it ain't dark. It's like, whoa, we can't even handle, we can't even handle the handle of God, let alone God himself. I can't imagine how awesome God is if an angel is so amazing that a prophet would faint in its presence. I just, I can't imagine. There's a song about that. I can only imagine. So when Zachariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Guess what he said? So the angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. So we know he was praying. What did he pray about? You know, based on what I shared with you, without even the rest of the Bible, you know. He prayed for a kid. Sure enough, it says, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. Now, I don't know if this guy was 50 years old, 70 years old, or 90 years old, but I'm sure he was doing the Dougie at that moment. He was dancing, doing a jig. I'm going to have a kid. What's going to have? No, he wasn't. He should have been. He should have been thrilled to death. Nope, he wasn't. He didn't believe the angel. How can you not believe an angel? What, you think he's pulling your leg? It's like, for, what is it, April Fool's Day? I don't understand how you can't believe an angel. 
I mean, yeah, she was barren. Yeah, they're old, but come on. This is God we're talking about. What can't God do? And so since he didn't believe the message of the angel, since he didn't believe what the angel said, he wasn't able to say anything. He was disciplined. And the angel said, until the baby's born, you're not going to be able to say a word. But here's what he said about the baby. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. From verse 15 through 17... Gabriel is quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah, and he's quoting Malachi. I mean, isn't that cool? Even angels know the Bible. And he's quoting it. Now, I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Zechariah knew the quotes. And these quotes were amazing, because these were quotes about the forerunner of the Messiah. So Zechariah wasn't just being told he was going to have a baby. He was being told that your baby is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Maybe that's why he had a hard time believing. Israel's been waiting thousands of years for a Messiah. Now I'm barren. I've never had a kid. I've given up hope. You're going to give me a kid and it's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. The Messiah's coming now? Nah, I don't believe it. Ah, Zechariah, dude, you were doing so well up to this point. Why do I think Zechariah knew the prophecies? he was a priest. Let me tell you something about Jewish education in the first century. Every little boy went to school, but he wasn't learning math and geometry. He was learning Bible. And from the age of five to 13, they studied the Bible and just the Bible. They memorized. Everyone who graduated at least had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Most of them had huge portions of the entire Old Testament memorized. So would you. Imagine you've got an iPod, and all you listen to for five, six, seven years, five to 13, is the Bible being sung. You would have it memorized too. They just chanted it over and over and talked about it and memorized it and talked about it and memorized it and argued about it and memorized it, sang it. So when he was hearing these prophecies, he knew what the angel was saying. You're telling me I'm going to have a son in my old age and it's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah? I don't believe it. So he was struck dumb until the day the baby was named. Now, so Zechariah wins the lottery. He goes into the holy place. Only he's allowed. Nobody else is allowed to go in there. So he's in there, and all the other priests are outside. And there's like, where's Zechariah? This is like a five-minute job. He's been in there 15 minutes. I'm just throwing out numbers. I don't know. He's been in there too long. What's going on? Well, I don't know. This has never happened before. What should we do? Should we go check on him? You know we're not allowed in there. I don't know. This never happened before. Go get the high priest. Zechariah hasn't come out. He hasn't come out. What time is it? When did he go in? Wait a minute. He should have been out a long time ago. Well, should we go in after him? I'm not going in after him. You know we're not allowed in there. Well, I'm the high priest. I guess I could go in after him. And I'm sure there was a gaggle of men sitting around trying to figure out what to do. And then Zechariah steps out. I'm sure, where have you been? What took you so long? What's going on? Now, Zechariah, you know, he's just in the presence of an angel. I'm sure he looked a little dumbstruck. A little shell-shocked. 
he comes out looking in his head. I just saw an angel. My, my son's going to be born. I'm going to have a son. He's going he's to be the forerunner of the Messiah. I'm sure they saw his eyes and he said, something wrong? And he's like, mm-hmm. Well, what happened? Mm-hmm. Remember, he can't talk. <laughs> what do you do when you're told? How do you share? So I'm sure he went like this. Oh, you can't talk. Did you see a vi- did you see a vision? So they brought him something to write with, and I'm sure he jotted down. I saw an angel. He said I was going to have a baby. The baby's going to be before the runner of the Messiah. And the guys were all looking at each other. Some of them were probably go- just amazed. Others were probably going. Mm-hmm. This really happened. I want to bring you there. It's not just a story. This happened. How would you respond if you were one of the other priests? How would you respond if you were Zechariah? How would you respond if you came home and you were Elizabeth? Let me get this right. You can't talk for nine months? (laughs) We're going to have a baby! Yay! You know, I don't know this for sure. I do know John was the greatest man who ever lived next to Jesus, okay? He was a mighty prophet, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit from the mother's womb. Here's the part I don't know for sure. Maybe that's why they couldn't have a baby before him. That womb was reserved for one of the greatest men who was ever born. It was set set apart, holy, and sanctified for the birth of John. And the time was just right when they were older, not when they were younger. And I'm sure, though, all those years... Zechariah and Elizabeth were like, what's wrong with us? We try to be righteous people. Aren't we good people, God? What are we doing wrong? We serve you. We love you. We follow all the commandments. Why do you hate us? Why do you hate us? Hate you? I'm reserving your room for the greatest man who's ever born next to Jesus. Let me tell you something. Maybe in your life right now, you're in the holding pattern. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you got cancer. Maybe you recently lost a spouse to infidelity, and you're like, God, why do you hate me? No, God doesn't hate you. You're just in your waiting period. You've got to go through the time for that great moment that he has for you. you just got to believe. Unfortunately, Zachariah did not believe. But Gabriel had another mission. Zachariah wasn't the only one he went to. He went to a young woman named Miriam, Mary. And he said, hi. And I can only imagine, she got scared. He said, don't be scared. And he said, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be the Messiah. She said, that's great, but I'm not even married. I mean, I'm married, but, you know, we haven't come together yet. How's that going to happen? He said, you're not going to come together. You're going to have the baby having never touched a man. God's going to breathe a baby into your womb as a miracle. And Mary believed. So here we have a a priest, a mature man of God, who is told he's going to have a baby from a barren woman. He doesn't believe. Then we have this young teenage girl who's told she's going to have a baby without even touching a man, and she does believe. She has more faith than Zechariah. No wonder God picked her. 
She was a mighty woman of faith. And hello, she was a teenager. Props to teenagers. Don't let anybody look down upon you because of your youth. You can be mighty in the sight of God. Your age does not matter. Your gender does not matter. Your color does not matter. Your education level does not matter. Zachariah probably had the Bible memorized. Mary didn't go to school. Your wealth does not matter. Zachariah was probably wealthy. Mary was probably poor. It just doesn't matter. What matters is faith. Well, in looking at the story of Gabriel going to Zechariah and Gabriel going to Mary, there's like six parallels, which is interesting because some people say six is the number of humanity in the Bible. I'm not sure if that's so, but I found it interesting that there were six parallels in dealing with these people. So on the one hand, we got the forerunner. The other hand, we got the Messiah. Let's take a look at the parallels. Uh, the forerunner. Gabriel uh, was sent to Zechariah for the forerunner, but on the other side, Gabriel was sent to Mary. First parallel. Same angel being sent to two separate people. Forerunner. Gabriel went to the father with the forerunner, but with the Messiah, he went to the mother. Now, I find that very interesting. Why didn't he go to Elizabeth? Why did he go to Zechariah? Because generally speaking, it was a patriarchal society. Men were in charge. It made sense that he would go to the man. Plus, he was a priest, and he was serving in the temple, so it was a short trip from heaven. Yeah. <laughs> But why did he go to Mary? Well, because she's most involved in this story. She's the mom. She's got to have intimate association with what's happening here. Plus, she had all this great faith, and it made sense that he would go to her. Well, of course, Zechariah was frightened. The Bible says so. And Mary was frightened. The Bible says so. When an angel shows up, that's what happens. People get scared. But it's a parallel. The story mentions both. With the forerunner, a miraculous birth is foretold. You're old and barren, but you'll still have a baby. With Mary, a miraculous birth is foretold. You're a virgin, but you'll still have a baby. Um, with the forerunner, the, the, the angel Gabriel gave the mission and said that John would be great. So his mission and greatness were foretold. With Mary, Gabriel said his mission and his greatness and sorrow. The angel prophesied about how this would be a, a hard thing for her. Her son was going to be crucified. He didn't say that. He just said, it's going to be hard. You're going to be filled with sorrow over this. And then the sixth thing. Zechariah doubts the angel and so is therefore disciplined. But Mary believes the angel and she is therefore praised. Well, in this second chapter, or the, this first chapter of uh, Luke, there's a lot of data, as I've shared with you. And there's a lot more. I just don't have time to get to it. But I do want to emphasize three things in the story that jumped out at me, in addition to what I've already shared with you. God fulfills his promises. That's the first. And we'll hit the other two when we come to them. God fulfills his promises. Mary said so, and Zachariah said so. So I'm not just saying it because it's a nice idea. They specifically mentioned it. So I'm mentioning it to you. Here's what Mary said. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. He remembered to do this just like he said he would do. And that's in chapter 1, verses 54 and 55, for those of you taking notes. Zechariah, his reference to God's faithfulness is in verses 68 and 70. Here's what he says. Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, 
because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Mary said, just like the forefathers said, Zechariah a little more specific, just like the prophet said. So the first thing I want you to go home memorizing today is that God keeps his promises. If God says he's going to do something, he does it. He can't forget. He can't go back on his word. And nothing can stop him. Those are the kind of promises I want. I want promises from somebody like that. Can't go back on his word. It's impossible. And nothing can stop him from doing what he said he'll do. Listen, God has made some promises to us in this room. He can't go back on his word. And nothing can stop him. He will do what he promised to do. Steve, what did he promise? Well, he promised that he will end all suffering and sorrow. It even says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's a promise I am so looking forward to coming to fulfillment. I hate sorrow. It's miserable. None of us like it. God says it won't last forever. He's going to end it. He's going to kill it cannot wait. He also said there will be a new heaven and a new earth, which makes sense. This one's broken, so he's going to give us a new one. He's not going to patch it. He's going to repair it. It's going to be all new. And then he said we will have eternal life in paradise. Is there a better promise that could ever be made in anybody's imagination? Eternal life in paradise with all sorrow gone? Zachariah didn't believe. Mary did believe. God has made you some promises. Are you going Zachariah on him? Or are you going Mary on it? I understand Zachariah had a little hard. He had to wait many years. It was disappointing. It was discouraging. They were old. But he didn't believe when the angel spoke. You believe when the word of God speaks. But this brings me to the second thing I want to draw your attention to. First one, God keeps his promises. The second one... God takes a long time sometimes to keep his promises. Now, if he says he'll do it tomorrow, he'll do it tomorrow. But if he just says, someday I'm going to do such and such, we don't know when that day is. I just know tomorrow's closer than yesterday. And I, for one, think we're getting pretty close to seeing the fulfillment of God's big promises because it was in, within the lifetime of some people sitting in this room that Israel became a nation again. That hadn't happened in 2,000 years. And all the promises for the future in the Bible, the prophecies wrap wrap around that. And God said, step one. A lot of people got excited, and they should have. So Israel waited for centuries for the Messiah to come. We've waited centuries for him to come back. We're in the same situation. He said he would come. It took him thousands of years to come. He said he'd come back. It's taken him 2,000 years. He hasn't come back yet. But he will. He said he would. Zechariah should have known he was coming. He should have been ready for that announcement. It was time. God gave him the time clock in the book of Daniel, which we'll be talking about next week or the week after. I don't remember. I've got it written down for you, though. So listen to this from the Apostle Peter. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. God doesn't mark time like you and I do. To us, it's a thousand years. To God, it's just a day. You know, so for us, it's been a long time. To God, it's just been the blink of an eye. He hasn't really waited that long from his perspective. So, 
I heard this story about this guy. He said, you know, if a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, does that mean a dollar is like a thousand dollars? So he says, dear God, can I please have $20? And God said, sure, I'll give it to you tomorrow. <laughs> so we've been waiting two days for God to come back. Why have we been waiting? Why doesn't he come? What's he, ta- what's he, what's he waiting for? Peter tells us that too. Listen, do not forget this one thing, my dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't he wrapped up his program? I'll tell you why. Because there's people I love who aren't saved yet. And when he comes back, he's not to be crucified. He's coming back to judge the earth. He is in no rush to do that because he's so gentle and patient. Listen, when I'm thinking selfishly and I'm miserable and I'm sorrowful, I'm like, God, what's taking you so long? But then I realize my friends and family who don't know God, and I'm like, you can take another day. And if he asks me tomorrow, Steve, would you like me to come back today? I'll say no. Because I still got people who aren't saved. I'll say, God, you put it off for as long as you possibly can. I'm, I'm with your program. I'm all for the mercy ride. I know where I'm going. I'm going to die sooner or later. I'll, I'll go to heaven sooner or later. I'm going. I'm good. I'll wait. I'll, I'll wait 50, 60, 70 years rather than him come back and judge people who aren't ready. Wouldn't you? Yeah, of course you would. And that's why he's waiting. He hasn't forgotten. He's just merciful. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to judge. He doesn't want to lower the hammer. Hey, if you've ever been a boss and you've had to fire somebody, unless you're heartless and mean, you've waited a long time to do it. It's funny, though, when we fire people, they're like, what did I do? You should have given me a warning. Man, if you only knew, I wanted to fire you nine months ago. But I kept waiting, 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 waiting. I finally had to do it. Similar idea. So I told you three things. God fulfills his promises, one. Number two, God is in no rush to fulfill his promises, and now you know why. And number three, nothing is impossible with God. Zachariah didn't think his old wife could have a baby. Miriam, Mary, she was like, I'm ready. Virgin born, no problem. That can guide God, you can do anything. And then the angel said, because with God, nothing is impossible. Whatever God wants to do, he can do. So, if nothing is impossible with God, bring you back to what I asked you before. Are you going Zachariah style? Or are you going Mary style? I want to go Mary style. I don't care how hard and impossible it is. I want to believe the word of God. And I do. Like, like you, we have our bad days where we just wonder, really, God, are you ever coming back? But I want to go Mary style. I don't want to be like Zachariah doubting. I mean, if God can make a virgin have a baby, what can't he do? And that's the point. He can do anything. So if he's made promises in his book, and he has, he can do it. You can trust him. That's what I want you to go home with. You can trust him. Let me read to you a little something I typed up for you this morning. He promised to send the Messiah, and he did. He keeps his word. Trust him. For centuries, Haman's and Hitler's tried to wipe out the Jewish people But God said they would fail and the Jewish people would endure forever. 
They have failed, and they have endured forever. God keeps his word. You can trust him. Nothing and no one can frustrate the work of God. You can trust him. God said Messiah will come, and he did. God said Messiah will come again, and he will. You can trust him. And then the last thing I wrote down for you. God said he'll save those who trust in Jesus and judge those who don't. And he will. You can trust him. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I pray that everybody who's hearing my voice would trust you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch their hearts so that they would believe in you and choose to follow you so that they might be saved from their sins and enter paradise with us when the time comes. Remove their doubt. Give them hope and reason to believe. Help them to be thankful for what you did for us in Jesus. And may they be willing to give you their trust and love in response. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.